0: You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more.
1: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com.
0: This is the Comedians Comedian podcast. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith, and this is the hardest working comic in Queensland, Australia, Lindsay Webb. <laughs> Okay, so Lindsay Webb, we were in your car last night after a gig in, uh, That's true. in the Brisbane, in the, in the, the Paddo in Brisbane, the Sit Down Comedy Club. And when I got in it, I said to you, this is a really big car. Are you on TV? <laughs> and I think you said you're not. You're one of those people who works, you've managed to work hard enough yes. to have a nice car yeah. without being on TV. So right. tell me about that.
2: Uh, it's taken a while, to be honest with you, Stu. It's 15 years since I kicked off. Okay. Uh, eight years full time. And I won't lie to you It's been hard It's been difficult Not being on telly Whilst I don't see it as a, as a disability In terms of sure. being a full time comic It does make it harder yeah. because you need to make yourself known to the public. Mm-hmm. You've got to do your own promotion and marketing. And I've been on the telly. I've had spots on the telly. Sure. But never enough to be that guy that's on that. Yeah, okay. You know, yeah. or that guy that regularly does that spot on that. You know, sure. I've done bits and pieces like Good Newsweek and the footy show and the project. and But mm-hmm. it's always just one bit. You know, yeah, it's just yeah, that okay. little feeder bit when someone else is not available. Sure. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it, has been, it has been hard work, but I love what I do. So putting more effort into it doesn't seem like much of a challenge And,
0: and you, I mean, you work incredibly hard as well. You're, yeah. I mean, we were just talking last night about you've come straight from doing a run at the Adelaide Fringe. Yeah. During which you were also hosting late shows yeah. most nights. Yeah. was massive. Yeah, yeah, it was huge. And then you yeah. had one day, a transit day, not even really a day off. Yeah. And I'm talking to you now at the Powerhouse venue in Brisbane where you're teaching <laughs> yeah. a bunch of kids. Yeah. And you're, yeah. I mean, you're, just, you're doing everything. Anything yeah. you could possibly do with comedy, you seem to be doing. I kind
2: of see my career like Tetris, you know? If you can okay, yeah. A, if if you can put enough blocks in the right places and line them up at the right time then you'll make a wall of success you know that's sure. just the way I look at it and hopefully you don't line them up so that last year disappears Sure, uh, but it's it's a challenge and it's a challenge that I like and I guess for me it stays fresh by doing different stuff like today you know okay. teaching young kids like holding a workshop mm-hmm. and then the stage we're sitting on I'm going to do a performance on in an hour okay. for a bunch of hopeful 15, 16, 17 year old kids that are interested in comedy
0: okay you know? so you're doing you're doing a, a set for them I will host the, 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 oh, you're hosted, this it, the competition this afternoon so yep. they
2: come out do their bits so I make sure the audience is nice and warm and they've got a platform okay. that works for them and to be honest they're quietly shitting themselves in yeah, yeah, the Yeah. <laughs> rehearsal room but you know i like being able to share what i've learned in that 15 years you know i okay. made a lot of mistakes early on and i didn't know who i was on stage and i didn't know what sort of character i wanted to be and sure. really just blurted out a bunch of jokes that i thought were funny and nonsical, and got away with it to okay. the point that i stuck around
0: you know okay. okay well let's talk before we go into any more detail let's just sort of put you in context what how did you come to comedy how did you approach it oh <sighs> i got started from
2: street theater Basically. That's probably the best way to look at it. I did characters in a theatre restaurant. Okay. um, And then got into street theatre. And I was doing the same thing that we all did when we were younger. TV ads and small bits in
0: Hang on, let's let's just just pause a bit on street theatre. Yes. That was my routine, which I did used to do a circle show. What kind of street stuff you doing? I have to say, say I've never spoken to anyone that's done character restaurant before. How was that? How was that? Uh, Let's start with that. That was fantastic. Because you get to hide behind a character.
2: right? So I had full face makeup. You pick a character. I was an alcoholic chef. Okay. My name was Ace, which was an acronym: Alcoholic Chef Extraordinaire. Yeah. Basically, I played a drunk chef who took your orders at a table. Okay. For drinks, right? And that and that's so that's within the... someone's
0: existing theatre restaurant. That's company. right. Was a you auditioned called... for
2: the job, or it what? was uh, not really an audition. You sort of got recommended for a job there. Okay. Um, it was a place called Crazy's Comedy Restaurant in Brisbane. Okay. It Ran for. I think it ran for about 16 years until the year 2000 when they closed down. Uh, I got recommended for a job there from a cafe that I was working at. The guy that was the manager used to work there and said, you've got to go and work at this place. Oh, my
0: God. Okay. So you're you're a sufficiently funny waiter that you should be in the comedy. (laughs) (laughs) You you shouldn't be in this real restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) You're making people too happy. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) I saw the chef smile. Go away. Uh, So I got started from... Character waiting and then slipped into street characters. So not busking and not, okay. on the, not on the street trying to make money, actual corporate characters for the street. Ah, uh, gotcha, okay. So it was actually born from a company in the UK called The Naturals. Yeah, I know was, The Naturals, a natural right. Theatre Company. Well, yeah. The Natural Theatre Company had a sidearm that started in Australia called Is It Entertainment? Okay. Uh, is it with an exclamation mark rather okay. than being a question? The whole idea there was exactly like The Naturals, was to go out into public situations as characters but have people look at you going, is it? Yes, sure, is, okay. Is it a character... Or is that just an ordinary person that I find really strange? Okay. So there was a really good discipline in doing those characters. They were true to the script. When I say script, I don't mean, you know, we had to say exactly what they said, but they were true to character. Yes, gotcha. there was a lot of rehearsal and time spent back of house making sure that those characters hit the street correctly. Okay. And at that point... In my career, I was quite young in terms of performer and in age. I was like in my early 20s. I was doing street theatre. I was the only one in the troupe that wasn't traditionally and classically trained at some sort of university and had a degree in acting or performance of some description. But I had a natural ability that people went, we're just going to drag him along. Great. He fits in. He understands the work. He can do it, which I did. I always just grabbed a hold of it and went for it. Okay. Then in 98, I was encouraged to go in the stand-up comedy competition Raw here in Australia. Okay, yeah. Massive nationwide triple J sure. competition and very fortunately won the state final and got hooked as you do when you I mean if anyone does five minutes of comedy on a stage anywhere and enjoys it is yeah. hooked. Yeah. There is, I mean, if you have a good time sure. you'll go back
1: sure
0: so did you have any uh, any kind of comical leanings before that were you I mean what, how old were you when you did the, the theater restaurant
2: I was twenty one okay And had you 10, ever 21. done any
0: sort of performing before that
2: I had done performing I did theater sports all through school okay. so um, you know, without going into too much detail, I had a troubled childhood okay. and performing was escapism for me. Sure. I could pretend to be someone else. Sure. When you pretend to be someone else, they don't have any of the troubles that you have in your okay. life. Okay, sure. You can have fun. Sure.
0: So I always have performed,
2: you know, from about grade uh, seven or eight in okay. school.
0: Um, I should say this this podcast, I hope, is a place where if you want, you can go into detail yeah. of these things. I'm not pushing you to at all, yeah. but this is a platform if you want to talk about that. Yeah,
2: well, we can. We can. I, I grew up not underprivileged, but certainly challenged in a social environment. I grew up on a farm.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, on, a, on not a remote farm, but a farm far enough away from the main city to be isolated. So sure. it was a 45-minute drive into Canberra, the nation's capital here in Australia. Okay. And it was a poor time for farms. We are okay. a sheep station, prim- primarily, a super-final sheep station. And during the 80s and early 90s, it was an absolute drought. So the money was terrible. Okay. You know, you're living in a family that has an amazing amount of assets. Sure. You had no cash.
1: Sure, sure, you find okay. yourself
2: at a private school being the poorest kid at a private school. Okay. Which, you know, at the private school I was at in Canberra, was surrounded by politicians and lawyers and diplomats mm-hmm. and international students, and there was a wealth of difference you know there was a whole heap of multicultural kids and sure. when you're the poorest you stand out yeah right? right so in school and a lot of people always go oh you know were you the we the class clown were you the joker sure i wasn't i was the kid that was picked on the most okay and what i developed out of that instead of becoming downtrodden and disappointed in that i developed a thick skin and okay. started launching back So I'd throw back funny lines to bullies and try and bring them down with their own game. didn't always work, but I had the confidence to do it, you know, just because I wasn't going to let them get under my skin. The reason for that is that not only did I live in a poor... Household. When I was a kid, I lived in quite a violent household. My mum was terribly violent, and I guess by the time I got to boarding school, I was ready. Yeah, (laughs) okay. I was ready to be beaten down by these kids because my mum had done it in a house. Like it it was all I really knew was being beaten down, right? So I reverted into myself, and then again in high school with the bullying and getting away from my mum, I started to find my own voice. I started to find my own action, and I thought, well, I quite like performing and threw myself at it. I did everything. I did Shakespeare, I did, you know, theatrical funny. I did, uh, you know, poetry recital, okay. the banjo Patterson stuff, like pretty much everything. I tried all of it so that I had an idea of what I liked. Okay. What I really liked was when people laughed. Sure. It seemed I was making people happy. Sure. And that made me happy. You okay, know, uh, bottom line, I found a place where I was happy in the world. It uh, gave you
0: some sort of sense of identity. you would yeah, totally. previously been feeling like an outsider and Pretty now much. you felt like you knew what you're feeling. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, so that kind of fed the fed the fire. You know, that was
0: fuel. Acting and and performing was the fuel to
2: my desire and I decided Even younger than that, I wanted to perform, but I guess you make a solid decision in your teen years and go, that's what I want to do. Yeah, sure. Which is a big thing because clearly what you're sort of saying is, oh, I want to be famous. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, is is a pipe dream to... Every boy and every girl, you know. Do you want to be famous? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone. I think
0: that's terrifying. Now I'm sure I read somewhere where like a a teacher in an article had said the problem now is that you ask people what they want to do when they grow up, they say be famous. Sure. With no actual. I mean, it's not like for you and me. We might have said be famous at performing or something. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It has become diluted, hasn't it? Because mm. there, is, there are so many ways you can be famous now. Sure. Know, the internet and TV news and all sorts of stuff will make you famous. So I, I enjoyed it, and I decided to follow on, and uh, as I've just talked about, I, I found a way to do that. It, it became a lot of fun for me. Okay. And i put all that behind me. I, I certainly don't dwell on any of that stuff. None of that sure. stuff comes out in my shows. Okay. It has done. I've, I did a show called Lad to Dad at the Edinburgh Festival in 07. Okay. And it was Kind of cathartic, to be honest. I kind of got okay. all of that stuff off my chest. Sure. All of those things I was just
0: talking to you about, I put into a show that was full of emotion. And I was going to say, you seem like you've either undergone therapy or <laughs> had some sort of cathartic yeah. experience where you're like, okay, I can put that in yeah. place, I know what that yeah, was. Yeah, I did. I
2: did this show, which you know what Edinburgh's like, not that many people came to it. Mm -hmm. I was doing shows each night to maybe 20 or 30, and I know that in terms of Edinburgh, that's pretty good. Yeah, sure, sure. But over a month of having that every night, it's not a whole heap of people. No. But it was just enough people. It was enough people for me to not worry about the show being too small. I wasn't losing money. Certainly wasn't making a great deal of cash, but I wasn't bleeding cash so I could focus on the show. And the show was really different to any show I did before that or since. Okay. Um, It had real emotion in it. It had real true stories. At one point at about... In, a, in an hour-long show, at the 35-minute mark, a percentage of the crowd would cry. Okay. There was a point in there with the content that I was delivering to the crowd and the way that I'd you know, involved myself with them emotionally sure. up until that point that they cried. They didn't like that information. Yeah, okay. But then bringing them back out of that and seeing people laugh and enjoy the story as it evolves sure, kind of made me feel better. I was kind of like, yeah, you know what? At that point in my life, I cried too. Yeah, I do feel better now, which is the way the audience feels. And I think, all right, well, let's just move on. Let's just put that in the past.
0: Lindsay never stops. He's a really hard worker, a real grafter, writes loads, gigs loads. As an MC in particular, he's got those power gears that can turn any room into a great gig. As you can hear from the show so far, he's got loads to say. So I'm going to shut up and let him say it. You can email me, as ever, your questions and suggestions for Aussie and Kiwi acts to interview at info at comedianscomedian.com. You can tweet me at comcompod, uh, and I'm sorry this one's gone out a little bit late. Next week, uh, already in the can, I've got a brilliant interview with Clark McFarlane, a uh, friend of mine, and the alter ego of high-end cabaret clown Mario, Queen of the Circus. You might have seen him in Le Clique or Le Soiree, but don't panic. He's heard the Dr. Brown interview before we spoke and he's much more appreciative of stand-up. So there's no need to email me regarding that. Uh, That's all for now. Having a great time here in Brisbane this week at the Sit Down Comedy Club, uh, working with Lindsay. And so now let's get back to Lindsay Webb.
1: Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley.
0: Let's just go back to that journey of you, you did the the theatre sports at school, the uh, restaurant, the street characters Mm with the naturals, and then you went on to do the competition. So when you entered Raw, had you done gigs before or was that your first time you stepped on stage? No, it wasn't wasn't the first time I'd stepped on stage. About a month
2: before the Raw competition, I got up in character at the theatre restaurant and did a five minute spot. Okay. But I did it as my character. Okay. Right, which I never did in the competition. Sure. It was merely a way of me presenting some material that I was protected from not being me. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Good work. (laughs) And then the material worked and I went, oh, well, scrub this makeup off.
0: Let's get okay. some jeans
2: and a T-shirt. I'm into this.
0: So did you use the same or similar same material.
2: material? Same material. Okay, so
0: what so, was that about? What was the stuff about? Oh, mate, it was so basic. It was
1: really <laughs> simple.
2: Don't worry, I would be
0: staggered if you said, you know what, it was bloody great. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, it was it was enjoyable. I started with a lot of impersonations. When I okay. first started doing comedy, there was a lot of impersonations in there and a lot of whimsical jokes. My very mm. first joke ever was about a bum bag and I said, you know, I'm not very good at shopping. Bought myself one of those new fandangle five-pocket fake leather bum bags. Tears, they're hard to put in. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a pretty obvious joke. Sure. It, but that was the start of my joke writing process. I okay. was going through writing jokes about situations and situations I had, and some of them were just lame. Like, I one of them I had, I had a throwaway one liner that was, uh, I got in this cab the other day and he said, Where to? And I said, I don't care. Go off, go rank. We just sat there. <laughs> Oh, they were the kind of thoughts I'd had about comedy and about writing comedy. Basically throwing together one-liners and observations to try and put together a routine. Sure. I certainly didn't understand anything about three lines and arcs
0: and really set up punch at that point. So for you, it was a case of trying to say stuff that validated you being there. Absolutely. Just kind of give give me some laughs and then I'll I'll know that I'm supposed to be here. Yeah,
2: and I was so rigid at it that I would often, you know, and and I've looked back and listened to some of the early stuff. You know, I refer to the audience as, ladies and gentlemen... Yeah, sure. You know a lot of that sort of okay, stuff, okay. Like, you're, like you're at a you know formal dinner for Year 12 students. Sure, ladies and gentlemen, we've got some entertainment for you. Yeah, now. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, do you ever notice, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, it's Lovely. just constantly like, Classic. ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, oh folks, oh people, <laughs> this oh, is constantly, ridiculous. constantly going, oh, there's people there, there's a crowd there, and that's that fear that you have when you first start. That's sure.
0: you know acknowledging that there's people there. Okay. And yeah. how did that feel? Obviously, it felt great to win the competition. Yeah, it was amazing. Did you did you ever sense that? of, I'm going to spend my life doing
2: this? To be honest, no. Okay. No, I didn't. Um, and there's a couple of reasons probably when I think back to that time. The real reasons, I suppose, were that comedy wasn't massive in Australia then. Sure. And, and certainly not in Brisbane. Like there was only one club, there was okay. one place doing comedy, and that was it. If you're an open mic comic, <coughs> pardon me, you basically had a spot on a Thursday or a Friday. There was one or two spots Thursday and Friday night for open mic, because that was it. And the were
0: there a lot week. of people
2: vying for those spots? Yeah, probably a dozen or so. Okay, you know, even at that point. And now there's like up to four or five open mic rooms running in this city every week, mm-hmm. like full time with up to 16 people each night in the show and they're not even the same ones at the same shows like there's the market has changed so much so back then I didn't really think that there was a future in being a full-time comedian I thought that I'd probably be able to do some comedy all the way through my career I didn't see it as a as a futuristic full-time thing and and the proof is in the pudding where I didn't chase being a full-time comic straight off the top Mm -hmm. I realized that I wasn't at the level of people that were there already. And at that point, there was people like Vince Sorrenti and Bruno Lucia, and they were the top of the pops. You know, okay. that, was, that was who was really kicking it in Australia. So I decided that I wanted money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as a young performer, I wanted to find an avenue where there was good money for performing. Okay. And I sniffed down the road of radio. Okay. Uh, and got an opportunity to write for a breakfast show here in Brisbane, Sammy and Dean on Triple M. Okay. So I was writing for the female co-host. I was writing jokes for her each morning out of the paper, which was a really interesting mindset trying to write okay. as a
0: woman. Okay. You know, you're writing. Well, tell me about that. What's that? I've never, I've never. It was tried, really I've weird written for a specific person. At that,
2: at that point in my career, I'd really only been writing jokes for myself for two and a half to three years. Okay,
0: and these were were these still the same sort of one-liner take off? Similar, but more um, topical stuff out okay. of the
2: paper. Yeah, puns and mm-hmm. one-liners and that sort of stuff, and mm-hmm. suspension of disbelief, any of that sure. sort of thing. But you have to then put. I was putting myself in the mindset of, you know, an early thirties woman. And I'm a mid-twenties male at that point okay. going, I don't even understand women. <laughs> how, do I, how do I write like one? Okay. However, I was there for probably five or six weeks just filling in for the full-time writer. Sure. And I reckon it only took me about two weeks that you would get halfway through a joke and go, no, that's not the way I think. Okay. I don't okay. think that way. I'm a woman who's in her early thirties. Sure. I think like that. I write like that. And I was getting better and better at it because then I'd hand the jokes over and the presenter was like, yep, yeah, that's... I relate to that. Okay, gotcha. You know, and then you realise, bang! I'm writing for the person. This okay. is great. You then get to listen to your joke come out from the person who yeah. can sell it the way you wrote it. Yes, go, right. Okay, well, that's fantastic. Okay, I like that joke. Excellent. You know, I could never do the joke. Sure, because it, it's not my material. It's written for someone else. So that was interesting. And then I got I got the bug for radio. Okay, I basically got the bug for radio. And I'll be honest with you, because people there were making coin. Heaps okay. of it, you know, especially in breakfast. There was cash all over the place. <clears throat> Pardon me. And then in 2001, January 2001, I was offered a job on the Sunshine Coast, which mm-hmm. is like an hour north of Brisbane, Okay. on a commercial radio station. At that point, it was number four in the market, mm-hmm. a station called 919 CFM. Uh, they put me on a trial period of three months, I think. From memory, I sat in the chair, had another, uh, an anchor Mm. co-host, JC, John Caruso, and I loved it. Okay. I loved every minute of it.
0: And what was that? I'm not really familiar with Australian Breakfast Radio, but what was the the kind of co-host relationship Um, like? Was that...
2: It was good, actually. Okay. We we had a point of difference, and the okay. funny thing is that one of the reasons I got the job was because I had written for Sammy. Mm. I'd written for a lady on radio, okay. and they wanted me to come in and give a slightly skewed female perspective to the day. Okay. So I was an advocate, if you like, for women. Okay. My co-host. <laughs> How wasn't. did women feel about that? Quite <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> okay. Quite cool. good because sure. I would. I would actually let them be the voice yeah, and right. okay. portray what they're saying. Okay. You know, and I wouldn't always just agree with them, car blanche, just to win them over. Sure. But on certain topics, I would go, no, hang on. Okay. You know, and stop the co-host and go, no, you're not right. And it worked better probably because of him. He was an Italian male. Okay. So he had that often over-the-top, gratuitous sure, I got male okay. persona. Okay. And even if you just bring that back to middle line, mm-hmm. you're adverse to what he's saying. Gotcha. So, and then if you're middle line you know women and men are kind of with you yes yeah, sure you know, okay. either way extremes okay. obviously aren't on board with you but mainstream okay you've hit the ticket uh-huh. and i loved it i loved working in radio won an award oh yes very exciting <laughs> uh, i was the uh, best newcomer on australian radio in 2002 excellent and okay. uh, sacked sat by the start of 2005 <laughs> were you okay okay so tell me were you were you still doing stand-up at this time absolutely or? oh you were throughout okay. that was probably the downfall to my radio career I never and I didn't realize this at the time but I never took the radio career seriously. Okay. The reason for that is why I've been hamming up saying I was after the money. Sure, sure. I was chasing money and not a passion. Okay. Message kids, don't do that. Yeah, right. Money's great was not
0: good for you. Sure, okay. <laughs> you know. Okay, and so you were doing stand-up and you were, were you I was, kind of full, well, obviously not full-time, but were no. you professional? Were you getting paid as a stand-up? I was, then? yes, I was. Okay. And I was getting
2: more and more traction, mm-hmm. but slowly, because I was doing breakfast radio, you mm-hmm. know, when you get up at 3.45 in the morning, you carry an amble around Jeez. for the rest of the yeah, day, yeah, right. you know. It's not easy to get up yeah. on stage at 10 o'clock at night and then finish off a show. Okay. So I was still doing stand-up, but basically, so I was a 20-minute support act, pretty solidly okay. and I was
0: moving into MCing and hosting shows sure what was your just out of interest because you were doing comedy because you were doing radio at the time yeah. and you were being paid to do yeah. radio presumably you know I don't know if you were driving a nice car then maybe you were yeah but, but how did the comedy community react to that? Were you taken seriously as a comic, uh, first and foremost? Sort or of did half they, and half. Did they sort of felt like, here's a radio guy, chance Yeah.
2: Um, no, I think I was a comic first. Okay. But there was a little bit of resentment because I'd found myself an income. Sure. And I'd only been in comedy for three years. Sure. There's a bunch of guys here in Brisbane that have been doing comedy for maybe five slash ten years that okay. were not gaining as much momentum. Okay. And <clears throat> in, in reality, but probably because they're holding out for Capital City Breakfast Spots, and not thinking outside the square and going to a regional area that's only sure. an hour away, we sure. can still work the market as a comic. Yeah, okay. The problem with doing breakfast is, though, that I wasn't focused on
0: writing new material okay. or progressing with my routine. I was just kind of treading water. It's, it's a funny one that when you're doing, I did a like a daytime warm-up job yeah. for a, about two years, yeah. uh, not every day, but enough days that I felt that when I'd done it, even though it wasn't what I was here for, mm-hmm. it had kind of fulfilled my performative fix. Totally. It's harder yeah. to go out in the evening and seek gigs because Absolutely. you feel like, well,
2: I've just done quite a lot of performing, so actually yeah. I I'll, yeah, you know, and breakfast radio is just like that. Sure. You know, you're talking to 100,000 people every morning. It's pretty easy to get complacent about wanting to do anything else. Sure. And it got. Radio was a bit whirlwindy. You know, I won an award in 2002, which is like my first full year into radio. Mm-hmm. Then our station was going from number four up to number three, then up to number two, and then we went to number one, which is the first time that station ever went to number one under mm-hmm. that ownership. In fact, probably since it had started.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, just just for the record, they've never been number one since I left. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is Con- nine years Consider it recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that's because we did what we wanted to do. On that okay. show It wasn't until it went Number one That suddenly people were like Oh we've got to make sure We do all the right things Yeah, got to okay. follow the book You okay. know when we were number four They were like Oh let the boys sit in the closet And talk about whatever they like Why does everyone like them What well, this has got
0: weird Sure sure <laughs> Okay okay. Yeah I think that process Must be being repeated As we speak yeah, Absolutely
2: Of course it is You know yeah. people turn their back on you When they don't think You've got any Any progress or talent yeah. Or whatever happening for them But then all of a sudden When they think We might lose something really good Sure They get panicky And they got real panicky in the end Because we're a two male team And the opposition put on a girl. For breakfast, they were like, "Oh, we need a girl for breakfast." Okay. They tried to weave in a third person. I'm like, "The, the dynamic is not for a third person sure. in the studio." And then they went, "Oh, you will make it difficult." I went, "You know what? Uh, yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> you're not doing the right thing." Okay. Then they went, "Oh, well, <clears throat> you're gone." Okay. Went, yeah, was whatever. that
0: when, was that a stand up round? Was that? How did that uh,
2: happen? No, no, it was underhanded and horrible. Basically, they okay. kind of you know went around and made up a whole heap of reasons why they could terminate my contract, and then presented them to me. And I went, "You fucking serious?" Yeah. They I went, know. "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah," and I went. Ah, just sack me then, you... I, sure, I, sure. I took it personally for about six months. Okay. And then I realised after talking to people and people that I trusted in radio, like the person I mentioned that I wrote for at the very start, mm-hmm. Sammy, I went to her and said, Sammy, they sacked me. And she went, don't worry about it. I've been sacked four times. Yeah, right. You know, okay. And she's a popular presenter. Yeah. So I took it personally for a while going, why would they do that? Why they? they just wanted to move on. You mm-hmm. know, they wanted a female co-host. Mm-hmm. They got a female co-host. It's a pretty simple process. And now that I'm older and wiser, I see that. Sure. You know, people get rid of products out of their shop all the time. They don't have to tell you why.
0: Yeah, right. Just put a new product in. Sure, sure. You know, it's, okay. it's their shop. Okay, I mean, yeah. there's that thick skin you were talking about. You're, you're yeah, six months. So you know, that seems like a reasonable amount of time to be annoyed. <laughs> yeah. But equally, if you are used to taking those kind of knocks, or you know, you yeah. become aware throughout your sure. career.
2: What annoyed me the most was the humanity in that and the fact that people had just underhandedly made stuff up to get what they wanted. Sure. And I'm a big believer in karma, and okay. I've always just sort of sat back and gone, "Don't worry, you know, that's all right." Those people that did that. They're not doing well now. Okay. Like, I'm doing fine. Okay. You know, the general manager that was involved in that was sacked from the company 12 months later, demoted to sales. No, <laughs> the look where, at your yeah, eye says, because of a,
0: a certain email that I sent or falsified. <laughs> not <laughs> not <laughs> even. Not even.
2: But what happens is when you go underhanded and do that sort of stuff, eventually the truth comes out. Yeah, Eventually, course. given time, people forget they were supposed to not say anything about that. Sure. And things come out. Sure. You know, and then sure. people start going, hey, what? What yeah. do you mean? Hang on a minute. That's okay. not right. And it just all fell apart. It all fell apart for them. And I felt... Not good about that happening, but I felt justified in that, yeah, fucking good. You can't just go around making stuff up about people and have it, you know, help your life. I don't think that's the right way. I don't think, they don't owe me anything for making that happen because they pushed me into the career that I have now. Like, it was was a blessing, really. I wouldn't have made the choice to go full-time in comedy on my own. Okay. But I was but pushed you, so
0: then it. you did that was when it happened, the moment you yeah, got well, sacked you know, and you went, right, oh, this has got to be it now.
2: One of the beauties of what they did, and when I say, you know, they were underhanded and made stuff up, that's that's true, right? Mm. But when you get sacked that way, the industry knows that's okay. how you got sacked. So I couldn't even fish in another pond. Oh, okay, okay. Name was tarnished, right? Yeah. So and and to me, at first I was like, fuck everyone ruined every opportunity I've had in radio. But slowly over time I went, I don't want that opportunity okay what am I doing I'm still it's quite useful to, to have I'm those doors to, closed yeah, for yeah I'm still trying to you know find that money I don't know mm. what am I doing why don't I just do stand-up full-time so
0: can I, can I ask you what
2: it was they said you did is this some
0: sort of serious it just, allegation no it was just to...
2: rubbish like you okay. know making things difficult in the studio and missing breaks and stuff but okay. it was this underhanded here's one example right uh one day I get called in to the program director's office and they say oh look w- w- the because they brought in the third person by now right so there's two other people in the studio my anchor is like oh you're spending too much time on the computer and not talking on the mm-hmm. in the breaks right and I'm like but I produced the show it was self-produced so I okay. have to keep all of the topics and all the people running and take all the <laughs> okay. phones it's like okay so then the pro- program director goes all oh, right so we want you to move your computer out to your desk so that it's not in the studio it's like oh, all right no worries then in the songs I'll have to run out get the info print what yeah. I need run back in Here's how underhanded it was. I'm sent out by the anchor. Go and get that stuff for the segment. Yeah. He throws the mics open and goes to a break. I'm not there. Oh, okay. Right, right. Program director comes and goes, where were you? I had to go out to my computer. Fucking computer again. What is it with you and your computer? Oh, I'm like, man. I'm like, well, but... That's impossible. Just... What the... And I'm like, why is it? What is this? And I didn't realise at the time what's going on. Uh, okay, but then they, okay. When they come and give you all the list of things, like, yeah, and by the, you know, you're on the computer, you missed a break, you're out. In the th- I'm like, oh, you're yeah, okay, kidding me. okay. You've been Jesus. sitting around planning this for months. Sure. So, sure. you know, it's those little things that you slowly work out in time. And go, hang on a second. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was doing what I was told. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs>
0: So moving moving on into your into your stand up practice, then you yeah. became full time as a result of that. That door so was yeah. closed or radio. Grabbed the horns. Okay. The focus then was to write a good headline. Okay. Because I
2: was doing the odd headline spot here and there.
0: And, and the way it works here, I mean, only, the, the only non-festival gig I've ever done in Australia yeah. was last night. Yeah, And, yeah. and it's, it's, a, it's a kind of topsy-turvy way to the UK system. It is, in we that do it around we'll put the other the way. the open spot on first, yeah. which can be problematic or it, yeah. could be great, yeah. and then you've got a newer act and then a slightly, then a break, and That's then right. a slightly more established acts than a break. It's more exactly. like the American system yeah. and then a headline doing 40. That's right. Yeah. So we go open
2: mic, established semi-pro, professional. Gotcha. Pretty much how it runs. Gotcha. You guys do it the other way around because your headlines have to scoot to other kids. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that might be it. That might be, <laughs> yeah. be it. You've
2: got four other clubs to get to. Yeah, right. So I spent my time refining the material that I did have and trying to find my voice on stage. Okay. So this was the point where my character changed altogether.
0: Okay. So you let go of the, the persona that you'd established yeah. on radio?
2: Yeah. Let go of that. was no longer, you know, I think I was doing a lot of topical stuff during working on radio because you're writing jokes for radio cool. every morning. Yeah. Why not run them at night? Sort of overlapping two careers there and getting, getting the best of the cherry. Then when I went full time, I went, you know what, I don't want to be known as... And, and this is how bad it was. Like I had, you know, still had a routine about farts. Yeah, okay. And I had some impersonation bits and pieces that were sure. really quite gimmicky. You know, Simpsons and South Park and all that sort of stuff. Sure. I decided I wanted to move away from that. Okay. And get out of that. So I, And I wanted to do more story-based type comedy.
0: Hmm.
2: And I was pretty shit at that to start with. But then I got the hang of that and started writing those quite nicely And probably did that pretty solidly
0: through until maybe 2008, Mm -hmm. 2000, yeah, about 2008. And when you say your persona, you let go of the radio persona, what what was different about your radio self to your stage self? Um... Like apart from the material, what was mechanical? In your, in your attitude
2: it was I was more mechanical when okay. I was thinking in Radio Persona. It was a mechanical. Okay. You know when you know you have to link A, B, and C together and you'll get D. Sure. I was just doing that. Sure. I wasn't trying out other letters in the middle to see if I could still get back to D. Okay.
0: I mean, do, do you mean that in terms of the, the, the material you were writing? No, the style. Okay. In the style of what I was writing. Okay. So what was your when you were on radio? Were you like a sort of happy, cheery guy, or a, uh, what, what, what was the, what was the difference in? Nonsense time? observation. Okay, and generally sort of lent on
2: innuendo to get a tag, so that was the. Gotcha. You know, so more. So, sorry. I I
0: think what what I'm trying to say is not not the words you were saying, but your attitude. Were you (coughs) were you kind of happy-go-lucky? Were you? No, not the same as I am now. Okay. no it's more serious
2: oh i see okay. and and that's that was the problem it gotcha. was rigid that's because what I mean you were originally trying to do that that's I what i mean by mechanical yeah, like yeah, yeah. so to the point where now and you've seen me work recently if someone is distracting or annoying me in the crowd mm-hmm. i don't slay them sure i point out to them that they're creating a disturbance mm-hmm. in the old days old me would have told them shut the fuck up sure. got the whole crowd to yell out shut the fuck up yeah okay you know that heavy-handed, we've all done it. Sure, sure, <laughs> And sure. we've all seen it done. But it's just ugly, and I didn't want to do that anymore. Okay. And I also, the reason I was doing that in the past was, it's ironically because I wanted everybody in the crowd to like me. Okay. I didn't realise that that doesn't yeah. happen. You know, at that point, I didn't, I didn't get that. You know, play to your strength. There's no point trying to impress everybody because there's always going to be someone who just doesn't like what you're doing. Okay. For no other reason than... It's just not their thing you sure know? so once i realized that i was able to let go of the reins a little bit and be a bit more comfortable a bit
0: more fun a little bit more light-hearted and therefore more likable okay okay yeah. that's interesting I, I totally understand that that's when you stop trying almost like you yeah, and you see that in comics you see that in newer comics yeah the desperation to be light. absolutely it's yeah. crippling and makes them
1: unlikable
2: yeah. and it probably was a hangover from my childhood you know i just sure. wanted to be liked by the group. That was sure. that was what I was chasing. Turns out when you let go of that, oh, people kind of like you. <laughs> That's quite weird, isn't it? That's a really weird dynamic. It must be very difficult to explain that to a, to a newer actor or to, to, to a non-performer. I'm, sh- I'm sure people told me. I'm yeah. sure people told me, went, just don't worry about
0: that. And you're like, yeah. How can you fucking not worry like about dating. that? It's like dating. It's like dating. As soon as you get married, everyone's after you because yeah, exactly. you're unattainable. But, yeah. it's,
2: it, and it's similar in so many things. Like money. You know, if you really worry about money, there's never enough. Mm. If you stop worrying about money, somehow there just seems to be enough money. Mm. You know, it's a real weird thing that we mm. have to deal with in our lives and somehow we stop
0: ourselves from progressing. So just in terms of your... Well, let, let's let's just sort of finish the journey up until now. So, mm-hmm. 2007, you did the Edinburgh show.
2: Yes. Was that your only that, time in Edinburgh? No, that was the second okay. solo show that I'd done in Edinburgh.
0: Okay.
2: A good mate of mine, Mickey D, who you know. Yeah, I do, yeah. We no, started me. in raw Comedy together. So, we yep. were in the national final in 98. Okay. Mickey, as you know, shot over to the UK not long after that, like 99, 2000. I think he was working in KFC at Edinburgh yep. doing comedy on the circuit yep. and popping down to London when he could. And he had shows... At the festival, from probably two thousand and two, I'd reckon. Okay. In two thousand and three, I went to the Edinburgh Festival for the first time with my radio show, doing a live show from the Underbelly back okay. to Australia. Okay. My first ever interview was Janie Godley. No way! Yeah. That's a hell of a first yeah. interview. <laughs> yeah, and we've been buddies ever since. Oh, which great. You know, which is just lovely. Sure. Um, and you've got to read her book, Janie Godley. Check it out. Handstands I've not read it actually. I've it met her several times. Yeah, yeah, lovely. Okay. Uh, so I went. That was the first time. The next year, I went on a bit of a scouts mission without doing the radio just did some compilation spots mm-hmm. bits and pieces wherever I could the following year I went and did Fat Cave with Mickey and a show at the Nickel Edwards which was like a compilation oh, show I no, the Nickel Edwards yeah <laughs> it was an interesting thing <laughs> anyway uh, and then the following year I did my first solo show uh, at the Cafe Royal Okay. Over, over in the new part of town on okay. Princess Street. Gotcha. And was a great deal of fun. I loved it. was nervous and horribly scared. And I'd done a run of Jonglers shows through London just okay. before that. Okay, At Camden To, to prepare you for Edinburgh. Holy shit. I just <laughs> yeah. thought that would prepare me a little bit for the way English people watch comedy. Yes, Jonglers okay. is not the way English people watch comedy. Sure,
0: sure. <laughs> that was horrible. I think the way I think about those commercial clubs, Jonglers and Highlights yeah. and stuff like yeah. that is... And um, those are people that don't necessarily go to a lot of comedy no, in the audience absolutely and ultimately not. the way you have to think of it is yeah. one day they're going to buy your DVD There are a bunch Good. of stag
2: and hen nights you know back to, back to back to back I walked out on stage for the first time to this Bowling Warnie! Oh <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't stop and it yeah. wasn't just the same guy yeah, like, as right. soon as he finished another guy Bowling wardy God. Want it. Uh, what the hell are yeah, you man. doing? Oh my god. Because <laughs> it was right at the height of Warning Beatles yeah, in, in the papers. So I went to Edinburgh. I had a fun time there and the reason I went to Edinburgh to do my first festival shows is simply to do them in the hardest place to do a show. Okay. I figured a baptism I was gonna say
0: what was the what was the, the theory behind that, but ba- yeah that makes baptism perfect of sense Baptism a fire. Sure. Why not? Bite the
2: chunk and really try and do it. Go to a place where absolutely no one knows who you are, no one knows what you do. You've got an opportunity to start a clean slate and punch out a one-hour show. See how you go. It was a lot of fun.
0: I enjoyed it. And it also enables you to make your mistakes away from... That's right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, And not be panned. Because back here, I mean, if you get panned for your first show, it's a good amount of time before they'll give you another chance. You know? So I did that, and then I... I kind of had a break because I didn't know how the festivals here in Australia worked so I went through the same process I went to Adelaide did compilation spots first ever shows I did in Adelaide were the late shows at the Gov okay did them for Mary Tobin I did two or three spots first time I went down I just went for a weekend went and had a look at the Rhino and went wow this is amazing yeah and it wasn't until 2010 that I took my own show to Adelaide. Okay. And I was at a little venue just out of town called the Maiden Magpie. I don't know if you pop. I out there.
0: don't it's, know. It's I've a bit out of town.
2: Okay. It was their first year of being a venue, and they thought that I'd be a good highlight act. Okay. It's a bit out of town, but I thought that's fine. It suits me down the ground for my first one. Not going to cost me a whole lot of money. Sure. If I don't make much, I'll be alright. It's a good way in. Show was really popular. It was okay. a show called "Hurry Up, Jesus." Okay. About religion. And not a, not a slay at religion, but an observation of religion.
1: Sure. The
2: show was really popular and I got picked up by the Indianapolis fringe in America and taken over to the
0: Bible Belt to oh, do this sure show called was, Hurry Up Jesus. Oh my God, really? How was that? It was interesting. Go on, <laughs> talk about that. Tell me about that. That's incredible, doing stand-up comedy to a, yeah. to a, a Christian
2: audience. Pretty much. Okay. Um, Christian-friendly audience, I would call okay. them now. I think when I went, I assumed that they were all going to come in with their Bibles and make sure that I didn't say anything bad about God. Sure. In hindsight... They quite like other people's opinions. Okay. And because I wasn't being derogatory or telling people that believed in God that they were stupid, not just because I don't have a belief doesn't mean I don't believe that other people can. Yeah, You course. know, so that was sure. the through line of my show. 95% of the people loved it. There was a couple of nights where you could see the people in the crowd that had come along because they thought it was going to be an insight mm-hmm. <laughs> to religion, mm-hmm. looking at you going, you're going to hell. <laughs> you know you're going to hell, right? <laughs> and just sit there, not doing anything. Not saying anything, not getting into it, but they are just my observations, genuine observations okay. of, you know, of religion and I had a great deal of fun there, it's a really
0: good place to go and okay. stretch your legs. What's the difference for you in writing an hour-long show yeah. to writing your set, your stand-up? Right. Do, you, do you approach it differently or do you... <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. My stand-up routine for club and pub and, and, and gigs
2: in general, I don't write. Okay. It happens. Okay. It just happens. And I don't mean I just make it up every night, but I impro as much as I can. The good impro bits turn into bits that I workshop into proper pieces. Gotcha. Yeah. And then I replace the bits that were written before that and impro the tail. Okay. Constantly evolving. Okay. So I will have a different
0: closer every six months. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool, and yeah. that's you know, when you say a headline set over here. That's forty. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because that's so, practically an Edinburgh show. That's pra- you know that's practically yeah. an hour show.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah more than- yeah. But that has taken some time, Stu. And realistically, only the last three years have I been improving to the level where I'm quite happy with that. Okay. You know, it was it was hit and miss to start with when you go into crowd work and the old what's your name what do you do mm-hmm. which is very common but I think I've turned that into I don't want to say art form because that's ridiculous but I've turned it into my thing sure you know sure. I am I described
0: you to someone recently in an email you're like you're a power MC do you know what I mean you're <laughs> yeah. like you like last night for example at the yeah. gig it was very quiet to begin with it's quite yeah. an unusual it's like a commercial club but on a Thursday night sure. when everyone's got school tomorrow yeah yeah and it was you know you really just turned it into a gig you've got that kind of yeah. <clears throat> you know
2: you can judge it and uh... yeah it's all about I think in my mind, it's all about having them believe that you want the show to be good. Yeah. You know, forcing audiences into having fun doesn't work. Sure. You've got to trick them into it. (laughs) (laughs) There we go, quote that. (laughs) Lovely. (laughs) You've got to make them look the other way and show them some fun. Okay.
0: And is that that observation that you make an audience is that's born of experience rather than theory? That's you being out there every night. 270 gigs a year. You were saying last night? Yeah. Yeah. it's a lot of time on stage let's we'll come back to that because I want to talk about the, the experience of being you know the Brisbane guy that yeah. we were talked about before but let's just um, in, in terms of making the show so that's uh-huh. how you make sets and that's, then how yeah. do you change when you come to make an Edinburgh show do you start with the premise <laughs> when, when I want to write a festival show I start with the premise
2: exactly okay. exactly that and in fact I probably start with the title first okay. but that's because you've got a premise in mind mm-hmm. uh, and next year's show I'm actually doing a show called What's Your Name What Do You Do uh,
0: Lovely. Okay. and I'm going to break down I said just for the listener uh, this year's show was called Chitty Chatty Bullshit. Chitty Chatty Bullshit. (laughs) Which
2: is lovely. (laughs) Which is about about the way we talk. So I take the premise, I give it a title and then I write about three times more content than you need for a show. Okay. And then I trial that content over six shows an hour long through November and December. I run all of that bit all of it for the first three shows gets a run. Mm-hmm. Then I start refining it, try and work out the order. Mm-hmm. Hopefully by show seven it's ready to run.
0: Okay. And where, whereabouts? So you those are happening in November. Yeah. Where are those shows taking place? Are you doing that at, just At to... the paddock? Okay. At the Sit Down
2: Comedy Club on a Wednesday night. Okay. I hire the room, sell the tickets myself. Gotcha. And I think I've done that now for six years and it's turned... So, there's a,
0: so you have like a six-week run of yeah. Wednesdays.
2: Yeah. Great. And I've actually Great. turned that into an establishment now. Okay. People just know that I've got Christmas shows and they know that I'm working up a show. I've got a notes, uh, you know, a stand with notes on it. They know that it's not refined. Great. People actually get involved in the process of helping me write the shows. Sure. So, so by
0: the time you go to Adelaide, yeah. it's up and running it's and ready you, to you've go. got it ready to go. Yeah. Are you, what do you do with it then? Do you, are you, do you take it to Melbourne? No, ordinarily, yes. Okay. This
2: year I'm not going to Melbourne because okay. they offer me a time slot that I didn't want to struggle in, mm-hmm. which is fine with me. It's not sure. like people are like, oh, you're not too Melbourne. It's like, yes, yeah, right. Just, mm. just skip here. Sure. You know, Olympians don't always go to the Olympics.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice positive <laughs> oh, thinking
2: there. <having>, <laughs> year off. But I actually prefer the Adelaide Fringe. Okay. I prefer the fringe crowd. I'm not sure. saying there's anything wrong with the Melbourne crowd, but mm. I've also established myself in Adelaide, so people sure. know who I am. Mm. In Melbourne, I may as well be an up and coming comic, which okay. which
0: is fine. But when there's so many big name acts in Melbourne, you're at sure. the bottom end of the ticket. The, the difference for people, and I know this is only a thing I've learned in the last couple of years, is that Adelaide, obviously being a fringe, is open yeah, access, whereas right. Melbourne is kind of curated. It is, festival. it yeah. is.
2: So as you can imagine, the top of the pile gets the top, of the top of the rooms, the top of the billing, the top of the promotion, and then if sure. you fit in somewhere down along the way, you've just got to sort of push yourself along. Okay. And there's two ways to go. I mean, you can either be festival produced or produce yourself. Okay. And I'd, I've never produced myself for Melbourne. I've always done festival produced venues, but I've seen the people that produce themselves and it's a slog. Mm. You know, you're not on any of the blackboards, you're not promoted by the festival, mm. you, you know, you still register. It's a weird system. I, I find it a bit strange and I'd prefer that it was more like a fringe and open access and just let yeah. people do their thing because I think when it's controlled and contrived you kind of end up with what other people want rather sure. than
0: what the industry kind of wants. Sure. Mm. So something I noticed in, in Adelaide this year was that I saw a lot of shows which were billed not which weren't billed as previews yeah. that then turned out to be previews. Yeah. There's quite a lot of that because yeah, people use it as a run up mm. to Melbourne
1: hmm
2: there's two minds to that too isn't there adelaide people are like no yeah, why don't you bring your refined show here why do we yeah. have to see the practice sure but then i also think there's a train of thoughts like oh well at least they've come <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 true <laughs> true enough yeah
0: would you rather they didn't turn up
2: oh no i kind of like them being
0: here sure yeah so um so you start with the premise you work it up over those uh over those christmas gigs yeah and then you do the show so is anything happening with your with your talk Talking show, your With, talk Yeah, yeah. I, what I do then is I, ret, I do a return season to Brisbane
2: so that okay. the people that helped kind of put it together can see it refined Great. and come off the back of a festival. And especially this year, you know, it was my most successful festival ever um, in, in every way. In every way you look at it, numbers, you know, result, kudos, reviews, sure. you know.
0: You, you said before that your first hour in Adelaide was 2010. Yeah. Yeah, well it clearly was a massive year for you because I felt like this must be your fifteenth year at the festival. I (laughs) mean you were everywhere. Your your show was everywhere, you were everywhere. Yeah. Great. This year was quite incredible. Like I
2: (laughs) you know, I spend the years learning about Adelaide, going there to do as many spots as you can in as many of the Mm -hmm. big name lake shows as possible. And this year I didn't have time to do all of the stuff that people wanted me to do. You know, it's the first time I've ever had to go, oh, I can't do that. And it just, I mean, that hurt me in a way because it's been my philosophy in the past to do everything. And I've kind of realised halfway through Adelaide this year that I've become that guy that just does the namey-name late shows, you know? okay, okay. And I went, oh, no, I'm that guy. Do you mean by the namey-name ones, do
0: you mean you, you, well, you take your like,
2: pick of the offers? Well, well, you fill up with them. You know, you end up with things like Fat Cave, great show, yeah. well-presented, well-set-up, well-run, well-hosted by Mickey, mm-hmm. you know, Best of the Fest late shows That are run sure. by Tobin And always have been done In a great way The Rhino Room late shows mm-hmm. You know Chopper's late show To like five or six hundred people Yeah Marcel Lacan's late show Yeah You know And without naming names There are 25 other late shows That compile sure. the best of this And best of that and, Yeah You gotcha. know just didn't have a, just didn't even have a chance, you know. It's a, it's a great thing. Yeah. But then you realise, um, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the point though. So you want to be being that guy. I guess so. Yeah, but I guess I kind of also enjoyed being the anywhere guy, you know. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I guess that now I feel a genuine commitment to those people to say yes. I, mm. I need to do them because they've helped me get to that point. Like, for example, the first time I ever went to Adelaide, I think I did two nights for Mary. You know, mm. two nights in her room. I think I did four nights this year plus did the supports for Stephen K. Amos to do his previous show so it's like sure. six performances on her stage just in the festival yeah. you know it's only five weekends so yeah right <laughs> yeah right yeah it's it's been interesting this year was very busy it I won't lie to you. It was hard. It was it was tricky. Okay. Especially you know those nights where you have to peel yourself away from everybody having a good time because mm-hmm. you've got like radio at eight in the morning or you've mm-hmm. got five shows the next day or or you're hosting a six hour benefit for Queensland at some outdoor <laughs> gig. Jesus who said hey, yes talk, to that?
0: Talking of talk, talking <laughs> of um, long shows, you're mm. a, you're a, you are or were a I record was, holder.
2: I was a record holder. Yeah, Guinness World Record for the longest ever show by an individual. Okay. I did thirty eight hours and six minutes on stage. Well, when was that? Uh, 2009, October 2009. And what prompted that? Where did that idea? Come from? <laughs> oh, you must have talked about this election, yeah, obviously, when it well, went off. So, what prompted it? it's not a question that everybody asks. It's it's a it was a, it was a I wanted to give something back. Mm-hmm. I felt in 2009 that I'd been given a lot of opportunities already, and that's with discounting the last two or three years of sure. what I've been allowed to do. I was grateful at the fact that I was full time. You know, I went full time mm-hmm. in 2000. And, was it five the start of 2005 and by the end of 2009 i'd successfully had you know a cd produced and sold i'd just made a dvd and i was looking to do something good you know, <laughs> to acknowledge that I'm grateful for what I have, right, for whatever reason. So I decided to try and have a shot at the longest ever show for two reasons. One, I was present at Mark Watson's twenty-four-hour show three times in Edinburgh and just thought it was brilliant. Sure. I really enjoyed it. Two, I spoke to Mark Watson, told him I was really keen to break the Guinness World Record, which was thirty-six hours set mm-hmm. by Tommy Tien and out of Ireland. And Mark Watson said, Use my format, go for yep. it. I give you my blessing. Mm-hmm. You're a great dude. You've been there. Have a go. Mm-hmm. And I did. I had a chop. And the reason I did it, secondly, was for charity. Mm-hmm. And given what we talked about earlier, I chose my charity was the Abused Children's Trust. Mm. And it was a proper charity thing. It wasn't like I was giving a percentage of the tickets to them. They were taking the door. Sure. The whole event cost me seven grand to put on. Okay. I paid that. Yeah. And had all of the profit go to the charity. Okay. I didn't want to make money out of it. The whole idea was giving something back. Sure. Trying to pass it forward. And it ended up. Being bigger and better than I could have imagined. It was in the main theatre at the Gallery of Modern Art, so I was an mm-hmm. installation for a weekend. I made it past the 36-hour record point to set a new record for Guinness. Okay. Had a and whole this bunch is, of And this, people is, mean, this
0: isn't like, the way it's been described to me, this is just you on stage doing comedy. It,
2: I was on stage the entire time, but I had
0: some guests join me. Okay. But I never was gone sure. like it's not like I was hosting the show Sure. and bringing them on and how, how different to Mark Watson's kind of version of it because he has a lot of he's got lots of people on he's yeah. definitely always on stage but he's, he's not really doing material he's sending people no. on missions and well the there was
2: a there was a bit of that okay. um, Mickey D was my producer mm-hmm. so he was with me most of the time apart from when he was asleep <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, and I had an IT person Okay. constantly on stage. So we were doing back and forth online. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of YouTube stuff. And like, Jason Cook from the UK filmed himself at a bunch of clubs in Liverpool and, and cut up a video and sent it down. Lovely. He's trying to get me to do it again so that he can do the start via YouTube and fly over and be here for the end.
0: Oh, man, that's a great <laughs> idea. Yeah,
2: that's yeah. great. And if his show keeps going the way it is, I might have to do it. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> it'll probably be part of the show. Excellent. Uh, so that was a great deal of fun. It nearly killed me. Um, and I was sore I mean were there bits of it you didn't enjoy were there bits of it where you thought what the hell am I doing sort of like that eight nine hour mark Sure. Um, where you have a little voice in your head going, just, just piss off. No one will blame you. Yeah. No one will judge you for life. And then the other voice goes, but imagine if you finish this. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> and that little voice was just enough
0: to... And did that, Did besides the, obviously the charity aspect of yeah. it, did that lead to... I mean, that must have been good for your profile over here. You know did, what? Did it make much of a difference for anything? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. It, it was a weird one. Like, I
2: got TV coverage out of it and they crossed to me on the news and different bits and pieces, but... I think people kind of saw it for what I wanted it to be seen as, and it was just mm. a gesture. You know, mm. it wasn't supposed to get me overnight popularity or win me any votes with, with the public. It was just a gesture of giving something back mm. and having a slog at you know testing myself, which I love doing. I just hosted two shows at once down in Adelaide.
0: Oh yeah, man! Yeah, <laughs> I saw that on the Ryners. You were, you hosted both the both the upstairs and the downstairs yeah, in the Ryners at the same time. And where did that idea come from? Did you that just me? Been, yeah, three, three years ago I, I said reckon it, I can do
2: this. I, I said to Craig Egan, "Imagine if someone hosted the upstairs and the downstairs shows the same." He went, well, "It can't happen." <laughs> I went, oh yeah, I, re- oh, I reckon I could do it. Shut up, you couldn't do it. The next year, wouldn't it be great if someone? Shut up, it's not happening. All right, third year, wouldn't it be great if? All right, hey, all yeah, right, great, I can
0: do it. Yeah, all right. and How was that? How did that go? <laughs> it was great. I loved it I mean there must have been a sense with Both both rooms must have known What was going on Obviously I set it up with them So that they knew What was
2: going on It was imperative That the acts that were on Paid attention to the cues. Sure If I came back in the room It was time for them To wrap up and finish Gotcha But it wasn't like I came and had to cut anyone off either It was all natural finishing anyway It was all quite good the hard part, which I didn't factor in, was that up and down, I had to go up and down the stairs 18 times. Sure. Hosting two shows, I ended up doing 64 minutes on stage. Okay. Throwing to four breaks and yep. introducing 14 acts. So, so I didn't do all the math
0: before. Like, yeah, sure. And I know how your brain works. You're already thinking, and if we had another gig in the courtyard... At the hey, night, hey, no? I did actually yeah, say... Yeah, of course you did. Yeah.
2: I suggested that the beer garden could have a three-man yeah, man. show with just one break. Oh, like, man
0: chuck that in as Mixed well next year so let's let's talk then and we, we're close to wrapping up and, but there's, there's two more things I want to talk about one is this this idea of you being the guy in Brisbane mm-hmm. we were talking about this last night yeah. that I know there's certain areas of the UK that have particular people in them who are yeah. like I'm the guy I run all of these shows I do the radio show I do this I do that yeah and, and you have a similar thing in Brisbane there are how many other people are there of your kind of profile or your work rate in, in this in Queensland Pro- profile wise realistically probably only Mel Buddle. okay um,
2: who you, do you know Mel Buttle I don't know Mel right well she's got a good profile because she does a lot of stuff on Triple J mm-hmm. she writes a very good comedy and she's prolific with putting on shows. Sure. Um, But she's a newer comic. She's really only been on the scene for probably six or seven years, I think. Mm. Could be wrong. Could be longer. Mm. Um, But in terms of full-time touring acts in Brisbane, there just isn't. Um, There's been some that have moved off and moved on, like names you'll know, like Bart Mm Freebane, Harley Breen. Okay. They've started here. Josh Thomas. And moved to Melbourne.
0: Melbourne, Everyone moves to Melbourne. Okay.
2: I guess I'm just the guy that stayed sure okay and why why is that why do you think
0: did did you there must have been a point where you thought I'm going to go to
2: Melbourne I like it here there's actually been never a point where I'm like I'll move to Melbourne I always wanted to get I always believed you could get to the level where it doesn't matter where you are if mm-hmm. you need it, you just go there. Mm-hmm. It's really only a one or two hour flight. I mean, sure. if you live in London and work as a comic, you might have a four hour drive. Yeah, you know? It's not that hard to fly to another cap city. And I never really understood why you needed to live there just to work there. I work in all those places. Yeah. I just get to live here. And I like the scene here. I've watched the scene here grow. I want to stay a part of it and keep sure. it vibrant and try and keep the ethos that was given to me by the guys that were at the top when I started to the younger
0: comics and keep it growing. And you know, I'd love it to be bigger. You, you were saying it would actually be, it's in your interest if there was another guy that was the Brisbane guy. Yeah,
2: it'd be great if there was four more.
0: Sure. You know, it would give the
2: whole scene more kudos because realistically, and especially when I first started back in the 90s, people were like, oh yes, all the good comics are from Sydney and Melbourne, eh? Mm-hmm. That hasn't gone away. Yeah. That's, that still lives. You know, the fact that when I go to festivals, the most common question, people, are you, you from Sydney or Melbourne, mate? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm from Brisbane. People go, oh, yeah, all right. right. They have carny, do they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I was talking to my
0: friend Nick Hopkins last night. He's yeah. um he's uh, uh was based in the UK, lives in Brisbane. Yeah. There. He's a TV producer, uh, quite a high level. Yeah. And he said it's so frustrating because he has the same thing. There's not the money for it. There's not the uh, Brisbane just doesn't have no. yet that that kind of focus, right. that profile. Is it? But I
2: think it's coming. You know, I think it's growing. It's becoming more popular in terms of population. It's grown heaps. You know, there's like mm. a thousand people a week move to Southeast Queensland or something. Mm. It's quite it's quite helpful, but. It's getting there, you know. It's got such a stable scene too. I think it's in some ways, in some ways, stronger than the southern states. It just doesn't have the kudos. It's kind of like the Galapagos Islands of comedy. You know, we've we've evolved without anyone else noticing. Sure, sure. Okay, okay.
0: Well, listen, I'm I'm aware that you've got to get some lunch during your lunch break before you go back to the kids. If we could just have five more minutes, What what I wanted to ask was. Um, from your perspective there's a, there's a thing that's very common in the UK and I'm sure everywhere where there's yeah. comedians that I've certainly experienced myself of you start off feeling like there's a ladder a, a career progression sure. and then you notice that it's not actually a ladder and there's people leapfrogging you yeah. and streaking ahead of you yeah. as someone who's done spots in TV but not yeah got their own TV vehicle which I feel like a lot of guys here have I guess there's yeah. quite a lot of TV to be made and not yeah, so is. many acts as, as in yeah. the UK and, and something I was talking to Fideli about who I'm hopefully going to interview on in this podcast next yeah. week um, was that in the UK I feel like there's lots of barriers towards right. success yeah. whereas over here I feel like the whole idiom of the comedy industry is we need more acts we need yeah. more people how can we help each other yeah, how can we true. get a so what I was going to ask was from your point of view how do you how do you cope emotionally how do you cope mentally how do you yeah. stay positive when you see people that you must have had you must have yeah. given gigs to streaking ahead and getting their own series there's
2: there's two 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 answers to that my first answer is i'm quite ambitious for myself mm-hmm. i'm also ambitious for other people if other people have success, I'm really happy with that. It's it's often a good thing. And like I said before, it would be better if more people in Brisbane had success because it would give us yep. more of a pin on the map. Yeah. So when, let's use Josh Thomas as an example, who mm-hmm. came up from Brisbane, got fantastic coverage, killed it at the festival and got onto television.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: A lot of people who don't name naming were, were, you know, jealous, angry, cross, thinking that he didn't deserve any of that. I look at it from a different perspective. The things that Josh is doing on television are fantastic. They're all great mm-hmm. roles. But they're not roles I would ever have gotten. Sure. If Josh Thomas didn't exist, I wouldn't have that job. <laughs> sure, sure. Someone else would. You have to look at that realistically. You know, every TV producer and every TV, you know, director is looking for something specific. If they're picking someone like Josh Thomas, they're not looking for me. Sure. You know, they're not looking for my type of person or my type of act. It's not just because Josh is a funny comic. Mm -hmm. It's because he's a good vehicle for what they want in a show. Okay. You know, and that's just one example. And I look at it always like that. I look at the person that got the position and think, well... I don't fit the cast. Okay. You know, I've been to castings as an actor and been, and no one looking at the form going, That's oh, not me. They're not looking for me. Sure. I'm just here because I might be. Sure. You know? So I think that focusing on what I want and what I'm looking to achieve is keeping me going. Okay. You know, if you look at everyone else and start judging yourself against them. Sure. You never do that properly. You never know why they've got what they've got or what they want to do with what they've got or where they want to go with what they're doing. You know, you've just got to focus on your own direction. But, I think. but is is
0: there a part of you going, well, what's what's the thing that I get cast for? No, I've stopped. Okay, yeah. so you did you did yeah. feel like that for a while. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. But you know what? I'm, I'm just
2: comfortable doing what I'm doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: People often ask me, oh, don't you want to be on telly? I'm like, you know what? If I could just continue doing what I'm doing, making adequate money, doing mm-hmm. something that I love mm-hmm. for the rest of my career
0: it's golden isn't it yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's so hard the, what's, the reason what's wrong I, with that yeah, absolutely <laughs> the reason I ask and I ask a lot of comics that is obviously yeah. there's far fewer famous comics than yeah. there are comics sure and everyone has to come to some sort of appreciation yeah. of okay you know given that we all started thinking oh my god I'm doing this now yeah. chances are what five <laughs> years max I'll, change I'll be the, the, the guy yeah <laughs> exactly and we've all got to come to some understanding yeah, of where we totally. fit into it
2: yeah And I think, you know, what keeps that fresh for me is that, like I said, it's only really been two or three years that I'm comfortable with who I am on stage. So really, it's like I'm just a three-year-old comic. You know, if you look at every chunk that you achieve as a new beginning,
0: then you really aren't that far behind. (laughs) I'm just... The very last thing I want to say is... You, you can't mean that. That's so positive. Is this, what is it about Australia? What is it about you? Everyone I know who will be listening to this is going, yeah, okay, well, that's the sort of thing you'd write on a motivational poster yeah. with a dolphin. But you can't mean that. I you do. You mean that. I do mean that.
2: You know, I'm, and you know, I'm really happy. I'm really happy doing what I do. I get amazing opportunities. I get to go to awesome festivals and work with fantastic comics who accept me for who I am. You know, I'm not trying to pretend to be something else or push my way or force my way up. Quite happy, quite happy to just keep going. Bit tired,
0: but, but happy. <laughs> Thank you very much, Lindsay. My pleasure. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks a lot. Jay. So that was Lindsay, who spent his whole lunch hour talking to me in between training up a generation of tomorrow's stand-ups at a thing called Class Clowns that they run out of Melbourne, uh, before then comparing all night at Brisbane's excellent Sit Down Comedy Club. Um, so an incredibly hard worker fascinating bloke and I did I did on your behalf I gave it my absolute best shot to crack him but it turns out he just is that positive he really is that optimistic and happy how aggravating Uh, some unique insight into cabaret comedy next week with Clark McFarlane that's all from me thanks to everybody as usual and I'll speak to you soon bye for now